And in all of his psalms, there's many times where he mentions his mom, but he never mentions his father, Jesse. And so what does that tell us? He spent a lot of time with the sheep and a lot of time out in the fields, under the stars, probably singing and connecting to his father in heaven, but never really having a deep relationship with his dad. And we know that this is true, even in society today, where so many relationships in families are broken because the fathers are not present. And I, I, I was so inspired the other day on social media. I saw a message that went out that said, uh, a daily challenge, be a dad. And I thought, wow, how many fathers out there need to just be a dad to their children? But we worship God Almighty, yes. the perfect, the most amazing father anyone could ever ask for. And yet, even though we have God as our Father, sometimes we don't have a clear understanding of who God is and His role in our lives. You see, a phenomenon that I've noticed is a lot of times people will project their relationship with their physical, biological dad onto God Himself. And so there's not a full understanding or a grasping of the information. When they go through the passages, they approach it with this unbiased subconsciously, that they don't even realize it, but what they're doing is when, whenever they read a passage about God the Father or something like that, they uh, immediately will associate it with their, their relationship with their dad. And yet that is not who God is. Yeah. In fact, even if you're in this room today and you go, well, I have an amazing relationship with my dad. My dad's incredible. Yeah. God's even better. Yeah. God's even more amazing than that. Even more beyond what we can fathom, God is always present. He is our shepherd for our lives. You know, I I imagine David, during the day, spending a lot of time with the sheep and maybe seeing the the wild animals off in the distance, approaching the flock and just tensing up and running after them with his spear. And we know that he was pretty good with a sling and stone as well. And he would fight these beasts off just to protect the sheep. And you go, well, what's, what's the big deal? It's just a sheep. I mean, if you got hundreds and hundreds of them, just let them take one. What's the big deal? Why put your own life in the way? And we really understand what it means to be a shepherd from seeing David's example in that. And so we're going to do a little study today, amen, about what it really means to be a shepherd. And so we're going to be flipping around Old Testament, New Testament, and I really hope that we leave here today with a better, more spiritual understanding of who God is and his role in our lives. You know, David spent a lot of time under the stars, singing, writing, playing music. And this was, of course, connecting him to God. See, he didn't have a lot of human contact while he was out there as a shepherd. Because when you're a shepherd, your whole life revolves around the sheep. Look over in Isaiah chapter 53. All right. In Isaiah chapter 53, we learn something here about sheep, beginning in verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, right here we see a prophecy about who Jesus was, 
and the fact that he was going to die for all of our sins. And right in the middle of it, he calls us sheep. I mean, out of all the animals that God could have related us to, he decides to call us sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, that's not a compliment. This isn't something to boost our morale and give us a bit of an ego. In fact, it's going to drain our ego. And immediately you go, a sheep? Really? God, a sheep? I mean, I could have been a bear. I could have, I could have been a shark. I could have been a lizard. I could have been something cool. You want me to be a sheep? I mean, sheep are known to be dumb. <laughs> They're known to, to not, not be the, the nicest looking animal. You've got to keep up with them every single day. Before you know it, there are going to be parasites in their fur. Their fur is going to start to change colors. They're going to have the flies swarming around their face. You, you're not complimented, are you, by that? <laughs> and yet one characteristic, though, that I think does apply to us is they're extremely obedient. And when they're told to do something, they do it because they understand consequences. And you know, when humans really understand their role in the presence of God, and we understand who God is and how much he loves us, it makes you more compliant to obey him. And the Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray. And isn't that who we are without God? We just wander astray, we go our own way, and we, we've got our own way of doing things, our own way of building relationships, our own way of spending our time, our own way of thinking through finances. We, we've got our own way. And that's the problem. And you look at the world today, and, and there's only one real problem in the world. Sin. Yeah. Because yeah. people are doing things their own way. And if people would just slow down and do things God's way, what a better place this, this world would be. Yeah. You know, one of the things that convinced me early on as I was... In high school, studying to become a Christian, one of the things that just convinced me is I realized, man, if everyone would just obey the Bible, this would be a much better place. The reality is if people would obey the, the holy books of some of these other religions, this would be a terrible place. When you study out the Quran and you see the hatefulness yeah. in the Quran and the commands to kill people in the Quran, you go, wow, I'm glad that not everyone's obeying that book. It's true. When you understand the holy books of Hinduism, that everything is okay, you go, wow, I'm glad that, that not everyone's obeying that book. You know, there are some very prevalent issues in India right now because people are Hindus. And when you're a Hindu, you believe that everything is okay. Here's how, here's how drastic and horrible it is. If a man rapes a woman or kills somebody else and it happens, and he follows through. He can justify it by his religion and say, well, God allowed it to happen, therefore it must be okay. Now that's a bit of an extreme, but that's real. And that's the thinking that Hindus have. You know, it's intense. You, you study out Buddhism. And you go, wow, I'm so glad that not everyone's a Buddhist. If everyone was a Buddhist, we'd all be living up in the mountains. We'd have no friends. And we'd just sit there all day meditating all by ourselves. I'm so glad that I don't have to be a Buddhist. I can apply some of those principles, but I like to have friends. I like to have a family. I like to enjoy my life. You know, you look at all these different things, and yet when you study out the Bible, you see the command for people to love each other to spend time together, to build camaraderie and friendship and family in the kingdom of God. You go, wow, that is amazing.
amazing. Yeah. If only everybody would get this down, yeah. this would be such a better place. Yeah. Look over in John chapter 10. Come on. Okay. Come on. In verse 7, Jesus, and Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. You know, we've got to be so grateful for the fact that Jesus is our good shepherd. For the fact that God loves us so much to give us a shepherd. And the Bible says in verse 11 that he's the good shepherd and we know it so because he lays down his life for his sheep. And if we are to be like Jesus, we are going to lay down our lives for one another. You know, God truly did lay down his life for us. But something that we've got to realize here is yes, there is a, a totality of the group in us. A we, our. But look back very closely at Psalm chapter 23. Mm. Okay. Come on, I told you we we're going to be flipping all over the wall. All right, we're with you. Notice David's are here, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Wow. Yes, the Lord is our shepherd. But the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. Yes. I mean, just think about that for a second. God, the creator of the universe, the Lord of all. I mean, you think about, you ever go outside at night and you just look up and you see all of the stars? You understand there are billions and billions of stars, many of which make our sun look puny. And you just think about the fact that it's expanding at the speed of light. You go, wow, that's a big place. That's a... That's a lot of power. God created this. And then you pause and you go, well, that God wants a relationship with me. You see, whether you're sitting here this morning as someone who claims to be a sheep following Jesus, claims to be saved or not saved, claims to be a Christian or not a Christian, God loves you. God cares deeply for you. That's right. God was willing to, to, to have his own son sacrificed yeah. at the opportunity that you might turn to him yeah. and reach out for him and find him. Yeah. To have a personal relationship with him. That's right, bro. And when you look at the, the facts, you go, wow, there are now seven and a half billion people on planet Earth. How in the world could God love me so much? That he would want an individual relationship with me. Let me give you another fact. The element quartz, if you go all the way down to the atom, it vibrates 9 billion times per second. Meaning that whoever created this atom would have to be able to have 
the thought of left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, nine billion times in one second. That's a lot. But what does that tell you? God has the ability to have nine billion thoughts a second. Wow. Meaning that he can look at the entire world, seven and a half billion people, and have a very individual, deliberate, purposeful thought for every single one of us every second wow. of every day wow. for your entire life. Wow. Now that's the God that I want to serve. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know wives are like, man, I wish my husband would think about me that much. I know some of the roommates are like, man, if only my roommate would think about me that much. Maybe some of the husbands are like, man, if only my wife would think about me that much. Well, God thinks about you that much. All the time. 24-7. He's thinking about you. He's got an individual plan and thought for your life. I mean, let's be honest. You don't even think about yourself one time per second. I ask you, what are you going to do right after the church service today? You're like, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. God's got a very deliberate plan, a very purposeful thought for you as an individual. You can claim God loves me. You can claim God is my shepherd. Let me get another, give you another thought. If you reach out your hand and scoop up a handful of soil, there are within that handful of soil billions of microorganisms <laughs> that have yet to be completely figured out by scientists, because that's a lot of work to do. And they're probably never going to figure this kind of stuff out. And yet God, in his perfect intelligence, his infinite vertical leap, <laughs> he created every single microorganism. And he created you. Yeah. Oh, wow. And sometimes we look in the mirror and we go, we can get insecure about who we are and who God made us to be and how we look or whatever. And, and, and this, is, this is a big deal in society. And yet when you have the thought of, wow, God is my shepherd. He made me who he made me to be. The Bible says you are perfectly and wonderfully made. That God knew who you were even while you were still in your mother's womb. You see, the Lord is our shepherd. But the Lord is your shepherd. Yes. He cares desperately to have a relationship with you. Yes. You guys inspired by this? Yes. You know, God really does want to personally shepherd each and every one of us. You know, I grew up uh, playing a lot of video games as well. But I would have much rather be out there playing sports. And so my parents would sign me up for these basketball camps. And I do the ones at the high school and I do the ones... You know, uh, just in the local community and everything. But my favorite basketball camp to go up there every summer was at Syracuse University. Because we'd go into the Carrier Dome, and we'd be on the Syracuse University basketball floor, and we'd get training every day for a few hours, five days a week. And I remember I'd go in there, and it was, it was a little intimidating at first. Because you're going in, and everyone's really good at basketball. You don't pay $700 for a basketball camp and not know what you're doing. Yeah. So you get in there, and you're immediately sizing yourself up with everybody else. And you want to impress the coaches. I mean, Jim Boeheim, the head coach for the basketball team, is there. He's, uh, he's got in some of the basketball players from the basketball team. And so this, this was the premier basketball camp in all of Syracuse where I grew up. And I remember going in there, and the first day, extremely insecure, just kind of kept to myself, didn't really talk to anybody, just tried to improve my game a little bit. The second day, I tried to make a friend. And there was this kid named Alex, and we became friends, and then we stopped being friends at the end of the week. But we were <laughs> friends during the camp. And I remember we would just push each other on the court. 
during the, during the, uh, the workouts, during the, the drills. We were pushing each other all the time, and that was cool. And then there was this opportunity where if you wanted to, they had a tryout game on the Syracuse Junior, on, the, on the, the main basketball court, and the coaches would surround the court and pick the top players and have at the end of the week what you might consider an all-star game. And so if there's any time to be nervous, it's at that point. And I remember signing up, I wanted to try out to be in this all-star game, and I got selected. And the coach pulls me aside, and he's got, you know, this, this little one-on-one conversation going with me. And then he pulled over this shooting coach. I don't remember what his name was, but he was what they called the shot doctor. And he would take your individual skills and just kind of critique it a little bit to get you a little bit better. And I remember the feeling of having this, this basketball coach pull me aside out of everybody. And then pull over another basketball coach and just give me 10 minutes of personal critique, shepherding, as you will. Wow. And when I left that meeting, I mean, I went back into that crowd of my peers and I just felt like the greatest basketball player in the gym. <laughs> and there was so much confidence that filled me up because I got one on one shepherding awesome. from the coach. Nice. You know, when you spend that quality, time with God every day, at the very minimum, it fills you with confidence. Because you believe the purpose. You believe that you're believed in. You're getting direction. And that's what we need to be doing every morning when we spend time with God. You know, Psalm 23, verse 1, the second half, he goes, I shall not be in want. Another version says, I lack nothing. Another, I have all that I need. Now, what's it talking about? I mean, I know for me, the first thing I think of is material stuff. I go, well, do I have everything I need? I'm still, you know, waiting on on getting that that one gift from that one person. Or, man, I could really use that bonus that the end was talking about in in her contribution. I mean, we we think about the material. I know I do. And I go, do I need it? I guess I don't really need anything. But the reality is, that's not what he's talking about here. Yeah. You see, in Luke chapter 9, okay. come on, come on, Joel. in verse 23, this is loud, in verse 23, then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what do we learn right here? First of all, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're not going to have everything. Because you're going to live a life of self-denial. You know, in the Bible, back in the Old Testament times, to be a Hebrew servant, what you would do is you would go to the master of your choice, oftentimes, and you would submit yourself to them. And say, sir, I would like to be your servant. I would like to, in in essence, be your slave. And you will become my boss. (laughs) And if you so choose, they would take you to uh, their doorframe, and they would lean you up against the door frame and back your, put your ear up against the door frame. And then they'd take a, a symbol of their own and they'd put a hole in your ear. And now this was a sign that you were their servant. And this was now a new relationship between you and your boss. Now talk about getting a new job. <laughs> and, and this was the relationship that you now had. And, and it was obvious to everybody, oh look, he's got that, that mark in his ear, on his right ear. He must be a servant to so-and-so. Wow. 
And Jesus says right here, you're going to take up a different kind of mark when you become subject to me. Wow. You're going to take up your cross every day. And so really the sign to each other and the sign to those in the world and the sign to ourselves and to God, if we're following Jesus, is do you bear the mark of the cross? Wow. Are you carrying your cross every day in fellowship of Jesus? And that's the heart of anybody that's going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, I, I, I really am just so moved by my incredible wife, Courtney. Come on, Courtney. You know, it really does matter who you marry. For all you singles out there, it really doesn't matter who you marry. And, you know, my, my wife is just so incredible. She's an amazing mom. Our kids love her to death. I mean, if we both come home at the same time, they're not running to me. They're not giving me hugs. It's like, oh, hey, Dad. And it's straight to mom. She's an incredible daughter to Jerry and Leanne. I mean, constantly serving them. What do you need? How can I help? Driving all the way up to Edmonds at least once a week to spend time with Leanne. She's an amazing wife to me. Constantly trying to cook my favorite meals. Just for your job. Cooking my favorite meals. Getting better every single week. Trying to improve on her skills. And I really think she's an incredible women's ministry leader to all the ladies in the church. And she's pouring herself out. She denies herself all day long, every day bearing her cross. She's either on the phone, or she's with somebody, or she's texting somebody. She stays busy because she loves her mom. She loves me. She loves the kids. She loves the church. And that's an incredible example of being a good shepherd in the eyes of God. She bears the cross. She bears the mark of Jesus. And I really want to encourage all the women to aspire to imitate her in those ways. Now, she's humble enough to admit she's got a lot to learn, but she's an amazing example of what it means to be a wife, a leader, a mom, a daughter, and so on and so forth. You know, as servants of Jesus, we got to understand we need nothing. We have everything that we need. God provides for us because he is our good shepherd. In John chapter 16, in verse 33, I just did a holy flip, so I'm going to read it. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, it can't be a material a material need that, that we are void of. That's not what David's writing about as God is his shepherd. Even Jesus right here says you're not going to be void of trouble. Your life will be full of it. In Revelation chapter 3. In verse 17, the church says, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. And then Jesus replies, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, so often we can put our hope and our, our joy in the material things that God's blessed us with, but that's not what David's talking about. And that's not what we need to set our eyes upon. Now, I am so moved by the story of the end that, that the Lord blessed her with a $2,000 bonus and a raise just after the announcement of the mission's contribution. Yeah, that's God. I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel, but there was another sister that came to me and said, Joel, I just got a bonus at my job for $2,500. Another sister came to me, Joel, you know what I'm saying? I just got a check in the mail for $900 from my old job. And I said, well... 
are they gonna take it back? <laughs> so shouldn't you go talk to them? She said, I did, I talked to them. My name's out of the system. They said, enjoy that money. We don't know why you got it or anything, but it's yours. You know, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel, but brothers, we gotta pray for some miracles too, man. <laughs> you know, I'm so inspired by, uh, by our brother, Peter Jordan. Yeah. Peter's one of the most spiritually minded men that I know. I talk to him almost every day because he calls me that often. <laughs> and how you doing, bro? How you doing? How's it going? And first thing out of his mouth, Joel, I'm praying. I'm praying. God, God, I, Satan's on the attack, but I'm praying. And I know God's. I say, Pete, how you doing though? <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate that. I heard that yesterday. But how you doing? <laughs> He's just so focused on God. That's all he wants to yes. talk about. And I so admire that about him. But we're not talking about a material need. What is it that we need when God is our shepherd? Mm -hmm. Look over at Mark chapter 10. All okay. right, so Jess. Come on, bro. In Mark 10 verse 17, it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What well, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Mm -hmm. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Mm -hmm. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible Amen. with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen. But many were first to be last, and the last will be first. You know, this, this rich young man, we got a few of those in Seattle, comes to Jesus and goes, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I go to heaven? Jesus goes, obey God. He goes, I've been obeying God. He goes, well then you've got too much material stuff, and you've got to get rid of it all, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. <clears throat> and of course he gets sad, because he had great wealth. You know, Jesus, in this moment, said the most loving thing he could possibly think of to this guy. When he challenged him to give up everything. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if any of us would be that hard line. But that's who we serve, Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus understood that people give up everything all the time. 
I mean, they give up everything in Seattle to go to school across the country. Yeah. They, go, get, they give up everything over here to go across the country and date some girl they met on some dating app. Right. They give up everything to go get a job in some other country. People, people give up everything all the time. Yeah. So Jesus says, stop doing it for yourself and do it for me. Yeah. Wow. And of course, this guy gets sad and he goes away. But this becomes an illustration. Then, of course, Mark here, who was the scribe for Peter. We, many, people, uh, many people say that the book of Mark is Peter's version of the gospel. This was a moment Peter never forgot. Mark's like, so, Pete, what are we going to write about next? And he goes, you know what? There was this one time when Jesus challenged this rich young guy. Let me tell you about it. And he goes into this, and Peter never forgot. Because at the end, Peter looks, and I, I imagine with tears in his eyes. Well, Jesus, we've already given up everything. And he goes, yeah. And you will be rewarded. Yeah. He goes, in heaven? He goes, no. In this life. You will receive 100 times as much. In this present age. Come on, You know, I think one of the most amazing things about the good shepherd is the fact that he keeps the flock together. Yeah. And one of the most amazing things that I've noticed in the church over the years is how God's got a heart to just keep us together. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know, I mean, I, I know that there's going to be challenges in life. People come to me and, you know, they, they present me their, their challenges all the time. And I'm like, well, just come on over. We'll feed you. Just come on over. Why don't you spend the night? Just come get some time with the kids. Come get some time with Courtney and I. Why? Because I believe this scripture. Yes. That when they gave up everything, they get a hundred times as much. Mm-hmm. And one of those hundred times is my home and my family. Yeah. Yes. I'm a brother. My wife's a sister. Mm-hmm. My kids are their kids. My fridge is their fridge. My couch is their couch. And I get to be a part of that hundred times as much. That's awesome. People go, Joel, don't you ever worry about finances? I mean, what's going to happen if you can't pay rent? I go, I'll just move in with Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> and if there's already too many I'll go to James' house. <laughs> you know, it really is a family. You know, a few weeks ago when the storms hit, there were there were so much snow on the ground, Seattleites are freaking out. I go, this is like two hours in Syracuse, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. And Courtney and I are out of town, conveniently. And when we got back, our cupboards were full of food. Yeah. And we looked, we're building, we're where all this food. Hey, we, we gave you, you, uh, you babysitters $80 to go spend on groceries, and the money's still here, but the, the cupboards are full. Where'd this food come from? And Courtney goes through it, and it's like organic this, organic that. Organic. And she goes, oh, did Jessica come on over? <laughs> and you go, yep, Jessica Prince came over and just dropped off a whole bunch of groceries. Because that's what family does. So often we, we get, we get, we get, we got everything that we need, and then we push God away, and we're, we're, we're good. And Jesus goes, no, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You might have this physical stuff, but you need some spirituality. You need some perspective on what really matters in life. And right here we get that picture, that Jesus is not talking about, hey, listen, I'm going to be your good shepherd, and I'm going to give you riches and wealth. And He goes, no, 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 I'm going to give you all that you spiritually need. Yes. As 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Philippians 4.19 says, We serve the God who gives us everything we need. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What is the issue? What is the issue with Psalm 23, verse 1? What is He talking about? It's not a material need. It's a spiritual need. What is yeah. the issue? Come on. Trusting God. Yeah. Let's close in Proverbs chapter 3. Come oh, on. We live in a very humanistic, materialistic world. Yes. And so often we just have to fight to be more spiritual. Yeah. We have to fight to believe the Bible. Yeah. We have to fight to apply these scriptures because we want everything to line up and be rational and logical and to make sense and be, be able to be calculated. And yet when you read the scriptures, it's not like that, is it? No, so we got to trust God. In Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You know, what's the key issue that we need to battle? It's trusting God. Trusting that God knows better. Trusting God's way. As sheep of the flock, trusting that God is the good shepherd. That he knows what direction to send us in. So often... We can be like the, the fence crawlers. You know, there are, there are certain sheep called the fence crawlers. And they'll just wander around the, the fence line just looking for a hole to get out. Because in their mind, the grass is always greener on the other side. And if this happens enough, if the, if the, the, the fence crawler goes through the hole often enough, eventually what has to happen is the shepherd has to kill that sheep. Because what it's doing is it's showing a bad example to the rest of the flock. Wow. And not only will its babies follow it out of the, out of the, the pasture, but other sheep will eventually as well. Yeah. And you know, sometimes we think that we know what's better even in the pasture of God. Mm. And eventually God will cut us down. Yeah. And we've got to make sure, we've got a conviction that God is the good shepherd. That we are the bad sheep. And we just need to follow in his footsteps and trust him yes. with all of our hearts. You know, my challenge to all of us this morning from Psalm 23, verse 1, is trust God with all your heart. Lean not on your own, uh, own understanding, but understand that he is the great shepherd. And we have quite the journey to follow him on. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.